Hi, hello there, fine fluent troll listener, and how are you doing? This is your friend, Kirsten, from the editing room. And she has popped in, I have popped in, <laughs> to give you some news about Kirsten from the recording room, which is actually the same room. In this episode, you're going to hear me referring to episode 192, but as it turns out, I was actually talking about episode 190, which is what you're about to listen to. So just in case you were looking for the show notes and you can't find them at 192, that's because they're going to be at fluent.show slash 190. And now let's enjoy a story about a bridge. This is a good bridge. I'm so good at bridges. Ah, that was a good bridge. I'm walking across it now. Keep talking. Hang on. I'm still walking. Keep talking. Oh, she's and walking. I'm there. I'm across the bridge now. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Welcome to episode 192 of the show. Countdown for 200 starts here. My name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and today I'm hanging out with my co-host Lindsay Williams from lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Hey Lindsay. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Excellent. Welcome to the show where, for our listeners, we talk about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. Now, something I don't normally do is do my sponsor announcement first thing, but today I thought, okay, we'll get the sponsor announcement right at the top of the show so that you listeners know who's presenting this show and also I don't remember it halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> halfway through. So let's start with the sponsor of the show. The Fluent Show is supported by our longtime supporter and real friend of the Fluent Show, Yabla. Yabla is a video database with lots and lots of language learning materials in Spanish, English, Italian, French, German, and Chinese. They feature authentic content by native speakers, custom playback, subtitles in your target language, your source language, and if you're learning a different script like I am with Chinese, you can also switch the characters on and off. They've got learning games and a whole flashcard system already made for you. So if you're looking for a video solution to learn learn language in an authentic way and find lots and lots of interesting materials, then Diabla is the place for you. You can stream all the shows that you enjoy learn at the same time and you can try it out for free for 15 days with the Fluent Show special link. So please, if you're interested in Yabla, go to yabla, Y-A-B-L-A dot com slash Fluent Show and doors will open, I guess. <laughs> Your doors will open for you for a free trial. Lindsay, give Yabla a shout out. Yabla. Yabla. How's that? That was good. That was good. For cool. a minute, I thought you were going to do the East Enders theme. Oh, well, that's copyright. Yeah, that's true. It's a good <laughs> idea, though. I like that. <laughs> they got a good drum drum solo at the start, don't they? They do. They do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Listeners, if you if you're not in the UK, you might not know what East Enders is. East Enders is 
probably the longest running. Uh, 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 nah, the nah, second nah, longest nah. running. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'd say second. <laughs> the second longest running soap opera in the UK. And it's still going. Do you know what the longest is? Coronation Street. Do, 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 I'm going to stop there. Copyright reasons. <laughs> Copyright. I think it's Give okay if you sing notes. it badly. That's fine. Oh, really? Is that the rules? <laughs> yes, yeah. If you sing it well, there's copyright, copyright the exemption. <laughs> <laughs> In Germany, the longest running soap opera is called Lindenstraße. I think it's actually finished now. Oh, that's my name. Um, Linden, like Lindsay comes from like Linden Tree. No way! Mm, I'm oh. pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Lindsay Street. Yep. Lindsay Street. That's, That's cool. great. That's great. Yeah, Lindenstraße. It's a street in Munich. And I used to watch, yeah, my mum used to watch it when I was little. Listeners, I wonder if you know the soap opera, the long running soap opera in your target language country. That's really, really interesting mm. to me now. So if you've got a long running soap opera that is a little bit like Lindenstraße or EastEnders or Coronation Street, write it, write us a message, you know, on Twitter at The Fluent Show and tell me, tell me what the soap opera is. Lindsay, do you know any other long-running soap operas? Long-running? Oh, man, I can't remember the name. There's one in Latin America, and mm -hmm. I forget the name. Um, but I remember when I was like 18 and I was in Costa Rica um, with the family. They were young girls, and we would watch this show. It was a kid's soap opera equivalent, I guess you could call it. It was called Petito Feo. So it was like a kid's telenovela. Um, it was so good. It was like the high school musical era, right? And this was basically what it was. And um, I think they tend to run telenovelas. And maybe this is the same for like sort of East Asian, like Korean and Chinese and Japanese kind of shows. I think they tend to run for like a year and then oh, that's they short. stop. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if they have the same kind of just goes on and on. I don't know. Somewhere around the world there must be, I mm. guess. I think there must be. In the USA, I can't think of one either. I have no idea. No. Oh, this is this is fascinating. So yes, Baywatch, Dallas, are those kind of things? They're not quite the same. They're not. This is really to I, the closest I can think of is Buffy, which wasn't a, a soap opera at all, but gave me that same sense of growing up with the actors, like you, right? And the characters—they're with you for such a long time in your life. And when a show runs for twenty years, you really. You know, you kind of come back and then at some point you catch it on your mum's screen and you look at it and you go, oh, wow, Mutter Beimer has gotten old or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, their lives change as your lives change. It's quite nice. Yeah, it is. It is. You're right. Coronation Street, I think, is the oldest. It's like 50 at least, 50 mm -hmm. years. Mm. Cool. How have your languages been? I guess if somebody listens to this podcast, it is a little bit like that. You could go all the way back to when, when you were Lindsay Dow and I was Kirsten Hammers and probably we were, we were young and naive. Back when we slept with the hairdresser and then there was that time <laughs> when you fell down the stairs and then, oh, drama, drama. I know, I know. And then at the local nightclub, somebody, <laughs> I don't know, stole my handbag and all my Latin dictionaries were in it and it was a nightmare. Oh, a language learning so proper. That's my that's my new project. My new project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back when um, you weren't learning Guarani yet. Yeah, pre-Guarani. Um, how how am I language learning? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I've added something this month that's kind of related, but not All right. exactly a language. Um, so I started a master's degree, um, in July. Oh wow! 
Mm-hmm. In applied linguistics, distance learning, part-time, all of that stuff, which is what I love because then I can keep living life. Like I, I went to the open day for this, like in November, and I was like, oh, hi, yeah, what, what's the difference, you know, between the distance learning and the on campus? And the guy was like, oh, well, can you not just come here for a year? And I was like, no, <laughs> I have a life to leave, <laughs> to, to leave, a life to, to lead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, I've, I've started that now. And the first thing is all about discourse analysis. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, there's so much in that. That alone could be a master's by itself. Mm, mm. What are you enjoying about it? I'm enjoying the reading and like, I guess this is the whole point, right? Like of applied linguistics, but I'm very natural in the sense that my brain naturally attaches stuff to like my own scenario. I don't know if that's something that everyone does, but you know, like I'll, I'll read a bit or I'll learn a thing and then I'll be like, oh, okay. So like, that's like when I learned this language or that's like in that language when this happens, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. Would you recommend it to other people? I mean, it's, I know you're in probably week six or something like that. Yeah, not even that. Um, I mean, so far, (laughs) I think, I think it took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, okay, is this going to be worth it in terms of like time investment, in terms of financial investment? And, um, and I figured that because of my work, it seemed more logical. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but I think you you have to decide for yourself, really, you know, if something like that is is right for you. I think so. I I mean, I I did my master's definitely as a full-time master's. And for me, it was, this is always what I would want to do in a way. I loved immersing myself in it. I love going to the library in universities. I can't imagine if you're a student this year and you're missing out on that kind of I don't know, the, 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 the campus environment or the, the environment of all the kind of buzzing brains. <laughs> yeah, see, I never, I never had that. I never had that because my first degree was the same, like distance learning, part-time, yeah. open university. And I never really wanted that. I never felt like I missed out. So I'm quite glad. But like when I first started thinking about the idea that it was pretty much non-negotiable for me that mm. it would be this way. And so it's quite interesting that it's turned out that, you know, most people that are studying that have like paid and gone to campus and having to pay for accommodation and things like that are now in the same position. It's, it's yeah, interesting yeah. times. Oh, it's a really tricky year. My husband works for a university and there's a lot, you know, even from the university side, they they they're working so hard on trying to bring people onto campus safely but at the same time you know it just won't be the same and campuses are they're a bit special even to just walk around and visit like you don't even have to be enrolled and lots of campus universities will let you make a you know member of the public account and i i really enjoy that like for years and years when i when i worked at lancaster as a staff member you could take books out and i would just go to like the linguistic section of the library and look around because it's not like your normal it's not like your municipal municipal your town library <laughs> Yeah. It's not like that, is it? Where it's 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 really researchy, deep, different perspectives, and it's so fascinating. You get to dig in and stuff. I really, really love that. And 
remote, you know, know, remote learning is so special, but I think the library is what I'd miss. You know, one of the things I am loving is that I have access to like this ebook library essentially oh, right yes. and I was just checking like out of curiosity I was like oh see if there's anything about um such and such a language and I came across they have loads of colloquial books in there they have loads of Tuttle books in there oh we've mentioned so Tuttle like, add to bookshelf add to bookshelf add to bookshelf so <laughs> very very excited about um all of like the <laughs> sort of additional access to all this stuff that I can explore over the next couple of years oh you know what I found out today thinking of mm. university and this this is um it's a weird one in many many ways you know the author Renny Edolodge mm. yes who wrote the book I no longer talk to white people about race right yeah she went to the same university that I went to in in Preston oh, okay yes because I heard her talking about her university days I'm not sure she was massively loving it she sort of she sort of said well there's nothing going on and I just went kind of left when I could <laughs> Which, you know, fair enough, fair enough. But it was fascinating. And then I read that she graduated pretty much 10 years after I did. And I had my first moment of, wow, people a lot younger than me have achieved big things. And it makes you feel weird. (laughs) Yeah. And I told my husband and he went, you'll get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, I guess, I guess. It's true, isn't it? It's true because people a lot, you know, people a lot who started learning languages a lot later than I did are now fluent in four languages when in the last five years when I just bumbled around and basically learned Welsh. But mm. that's that's kind of also beside the points. In languages, I often think about this. I have a confidence that I just don't have with many other things. Mm. And I'm lucky and I hope that, you know, the, the work that, that I do and that we do together, it, it passes that on to say you're allowed to have that sense of confidence. And that brings me to another space where we have worked hard to instill confidence and create a space where everybody can feel safe and we're celebrating, amplifying and championing a specific, wonderful, wonderful set of voices. Lindsay, do you know what I'm talking about? I think I do. Yay, have a guess. Is it hot dogs in space? Is it people in cars? <laughs> Is it other noun in other field? Ooh, yes. Yeah, you're getting closer, getting closer. <laughs> Is it woman in language? It's women in language. <laughs> women in language. F1 effect. The online conference run by Shannon Kennedy, Lindsay Williams, and Kirsten Cable. That's me, and that's Lindsay over there. And like I said, Shannon Kennedy, who you've also heard on the podcast many times before. Women in Language is now in its third year, and I know that usually we run this show in March. And this is so weird in a way, because even we decided to postpone Women in Language and we were, I feel like we were trendsetters. We were ahead of the trend because we decided this way ahead of right. COVID. Right. And then it was like at the same time that we would have been hosting it when things started to really heat up. Yeah. Get yeah. bad. Yeah. So in a way, I'm kind of glad that we we gave it the breather. And and to be honest, I think we, as organizers, we in March, we were... We would have struggled to to put a good show on the road, and we, we decided With to so postpone many, it. With so many like schedule conflicts, mm-hmm. 
across the board like we just it wasn't gonna happen it wasn't <laughs> gonna happen so we gave we took but it's all good it's here we took the spring we took the summer and the new dates for women in language mark your diaries are and i think probably as this podcast comes out you should be on the newsletter to get the alert because we're, we're days away from tickets being released newsletter at womeninlanguage.com the new dates are 17th to 20th september 2020 and i've started pulling together contacting our speakers putting a little um roster together so it might be a bit early for revealing who's going to speak and what all the talks are going to be about but look forward because here on the podcast we're going to do a look getting excited for women in language episode definitely to look mm -hmm. at the schedule together but Lindsay, how are you feeling about it now that we're getting going finally so you say that but we have seen bits of the schedule and like proposed talks and things and oh man i'm excited it's i'm good. looking forward to it there's some clever people in there some clever people we are so lucky <laughs> we are so lucky and i also want to say we've we've just sent out the newsletter as, as we're recording this we sent out the newsletter announcing the date and i felt i felt just overwhelmed with the amount of excitement that people who have been to mm. the to the conference before came back with there's a real there's real positivity and we feel so i at least feel so encouraged and excited and even more excited for the conference when I notice the amount of support that is out there for us yeah definitely isn't it isn't it amazing yeah it is it is and like I always I probably say this every year in like an email <laughs> like the story of how this happened but yeah like you think back and it's like oh it, it there's there's a for me and I guess you feel the same there's like a nostalgia to it of like, oh, that was the first year and oh, that was the second year and oh, and now here we are coming into the third uh, main event. And yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it was quite, it, it gets more daunting. You know, you're running it for the third time. You've had two good ones. You feel like you really got something to live up to. But once we announce it and with people getting so excited for it, all of that sense of daunting it goes away and you just get excited for it and we're just here and really really looking forward to the show and again somebody asked me is it going to be the same speakers as last year so what i can reveal what we can i think confidently reveal is no this is the third year and again we've pretty much been able to bring together a roster of fresh new speakers and one of my go sorry. ahead I was going to say, I think it's something we're very conscious of, of the fact that women in language isn't just about, oh, here's the 25 to 30 female people that represent all females that learn languages. <laughs> like, again, you know, I think that's something we're very conscious of is the fact of like, no, actually, this is this is like pretty much a limitless pool of talented voices that we could draw from. And I mean, we've probably said this on the podcast, how long that list gets of speaker suggestions throughout the year and by the time you get to it after i've been in oh yeah just adding people <laughs> there's a spreadsheet now i've I've, yeah. I've called it i've called it on this there's a you fill in a nomination spreadsheet stop texting me i'm excited this person should speak and i'm like who what what's the email address <laughs> mm. so yes no but i like the logistical side of it <laughs> and something i'm excited about as well is that women in language 
I'm hoping for the future can be this space where at least a few of our speakers might be might more or less get their debut in this type of community. Right. And I'm, that's something else that I think goes hand in hand with what I was just saying mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. it can be quite nerve wracking or something that wouldn't even cross your mind to apply to speak at events like this. If you think that you don't have something valuable enough to share. And I know that I've felt that in the past. And I think that part of that is being female and being, you know, statistically, when you look at lineups and it's predominantly male, you might think, oh, uh, you know, am I worthy here? Do I have, there's, there's no one else up there doing this thing. You know, representation matters. And I think that that's, we're hopefully doing our bit towards, towards that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a huge motivator for me every, every year, all the time when I, when I look at, you know, the, the podcast and, and the, you know, Patreon and everything that we're doing and women in language as well. For me, there's always an element of something that just drives me internally to feel like, well, we need, you know, we need some, we need some girls doing this There'll be, <laughs> in, like in podcasting, right? Women are underrepresented in, and um, especially mm. women of color, but does for me personally, it, it drives me like, it drives me in that way. But also now we've, we've got more women of color in, in language podcasting sort of recently that I've mm. noticed. And then it gets even more exciting, but I always feel like if there's nobody there, why there's, would you think that it's that, a possibility? I don't know, but there's something that makes me yeah. want to run in and go, all right, guys. <laughs> mm. And I hope that that, you know, I hope it kind of helps everybody else. If if I put myself out and look like an idiot, then it makes it safer for everybody else, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's always things, like you say, that happen in throughout the year, but in particular, like I think in the build-up to the event, where whether it's someone replying to the email like, this is sexist, or whether it's someone replying and sharing the email with the date on Instagram, like, yeah, I'm so excited this is happening, then it's like, those things and they come in so many various forms that just motivate you and think okay this is why we're doing this you know yeah all, all kind of shapes and forms whether it's positive whether it's negative they just continue every single year to be there I think mm. maybe a speaker coming back and saying oh but I don't ever have anything worth talking about that's like, okay well this is why we need to do this event because you oh do. yes oh yes <laughs> do, do you know what I mean there's always these these kind of micro events that spur on the the the, the meaning I think behind yeah, behind yeah. women in language. And as we're recording this, I want to give a shout out as well to Sisters Only Language Summit. So when mm. you're listening to this podcast, that event will be the, at least the second instance of that event will be done. But check it out because you might be able to purchase the recordings. I don't know, but just want to at this point also give a big big shout out to all the other events out there and even you listener if you're sitting at home and you're thinking that sounds kind of cool i wonder if i could the answer is you probably can you know it's 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 much much closer and much much more possible to start something for yourself so we hope that with something like women in language you know we we hope that the actual event contributes something cool but also that you walk away inspired thinking yeah i can yeah i had a <laughs> my michelle obama sure. moment there <laughs> okay let's 
talk about what we what we what we came together to talk about, Lindsay. Okay. Yes. Let's yes. let's get let's get to the let's big topic, to the big sort of bit. item, the or, main course. Yeah, the main course of the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about handwritten notes in language learning. All right. And I got, yeah, I got inspired to do, I'm going inspired to do a podcast about this because we recently covered this or as a month in Language League. Language League listeners, I'll tell you a little bit more about later, but it's a membership group that I run together with Lindsay and Shannon and Language League now has brought in vote for the topic you want to hear about. One of the options for my month was handwritten notes and people were really excited about it. At first it was actually called paper-based language learning but I couldn't I couldn't even fit everything in so I reduced it to note taking and I want to talk about it a little bit and perhaps share a few tips and inspirations for people who are interested who might want to bring more handwriting into their language learning routine. Let's start with the question here what do you think is the state of handwriting in education and in in how people learn given it's 2020 and everyone's got a device? Mm. By handwriting, I'm assuming you're not including typing. That's right. Mm. So then in, in that case, I think that it is kind of shrinking and perhaps ignored. And some of the benefits are perhaps being overlooked, I would say. Uh, tell me why you think that, why the, why it's being ignored. Well, because it's, it's very convenient. Digital stuff is very convenient, isn't it? Because you can have everything in one place. You can be really kind of organized without the need to have a huge folder or a huge stack of notebooks on your shelf or in your office or whatever. Mm -hmm. And with with that, you're then, if you are typing notes still as a language learner, you're doing it digitally because it's more convenient. And so the convenience is kind of trumping, sorry, pardon the word, is kind of trumping the use of handwritten notes, even though there's benefits there because it's it's perhaps perceived as less convenient. Or I think also there's an element of when things are new and shiny, it's more appealing than the old way because the old way clearly wasn't good because there's a new way. You mm. know, I think there's perhaps an element of that going on. Do you think people, if somebody is currently learning a language and they aren't taking, they have, they don't have a notebook, they don't have anywhere that they take handwritten notes, and really, mm. yes, by handwritten, I mean you've got a pen of some kind of description, you're making some kind of markings on the paper that you can later on read. Sorry, what if, was the question? If pe no, I've gotten to, didn't get to the question yet. Oh. <laughs> if people aren't using using handwriting and they're learning a language do you think that they are taking digital notes in any kind of way at all well not necessarily I yeah not necessarily i think that's that's perhaps like a venn diagram right where you've got people that are maybe predominantly doing paper-based notes then on the other side you've got people that are doing no notes and then in the middle there's kind of this people that are doing digital notes does that make sense so maybe it sort of looks a bit like that and there's a sort of spectrum running through this Venn diagram. I don't know, metaphors all over the shop. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, there is such a joy to be found in 
sort of handwritten element of your language learning. I think part of it as well is because we have a very modern, I would say, obsession in language learning with speaking, which is cool. I understand why, because, you know, we want to speak. That's what we want to do. But then that leads to us ignoring writing, both in terms of a skill to develop in the language and a tool to use for learning the language whether that be in terms of practice, whether that be in terms of handwritten notes, etc. But it's very easy then to ignore the written side because the focus and the emphasis is so much on the spoken side. Do you know when you are typing, it kind of also, you type, right? And you look at what you've typed afterwards. And Mm. I think in a way it's harder to feel like that same sense of accomplishment and ownership that you get over a handwritten page. Yeah, if I you've agree. handwritten in your target language, it's really obvious that that was you because everybody's handwriting is so unique. Or if you type, it looks like somebody else typed for, typed stuff. And yeah. I think there's something there's something there from that made it, you made me think of that that it's you know, when you mentioned the when you mentioned the focus on speaking with lots of independent language learners, I think yes, it's partly because we are somewhat we can be somewhat results obsessed. But also because when you are speaking your target language, your own voice produces target language and produces it, You, that sense of accomplishment is really, really there. But if you're typing your notes, if I'm typing some notes in French, it kind of doesn't make me feel in the same way. Yeah. And the other thing then compared to that, if you're handwriting your notes versus speaking, speaking is very instant. Mm-hmm. And therefore the results of that feeling that you were saying of like satisfaction of like, oh yeah, I'm speaking the language, I'm doing the thing compared to handwriting, which is a, often a much slower process because you have that time to think because it's more permanent as well, right? So the sense of accomplishment perhaps feels less. Take a language like like with Korean, right? It's a different script, it's a different writing system. So if I write in Korean, I'm going to be doing that a lot slower than if I'm speaking and practicing my speaking. I'm going to be able to say more mm-hmm. speaking in the same amount of time than I would if I were writing because I've got this extra layer to think about with the system. And that applies as well if you're learning French, Spanish, German, whatever, where there's different spellings to get your head around. There's different perhaps letters and, and characters, you know, with a cedillo or with a little circumflex hat going on, those sorts of things. And so it's it's very easy to then not feel the same sense of accomplishment. Maybe you've tried writing and it feels like, oh, I've only written one sentence. It's not very good, is it? And so it can be a bit more downheartening, but maybe, maybe we need to adjust the goalposts. Oh, oh yes. I'm, I'm, I think about that so much, especially Mm. with writing where people feel like either it's either you do nothing or you're doing Either or, mm. or you're just really doing 14 journal pages or you've written half a novel. And that's kind of going into writing as a as a practice of learning your target language. I, I want to keep it on note-taking for a minute because you don't have to, but as you are learning, for me personally, I cognitively know that there is a benefit. And I, I actually, in my research, I found this as well. There is genuinely this is proven, so it's not just Kirsten's brain, there's a cognitive benefit to taking your notes with pen and paper. Number one, it, it, it improves recall 
because what you're doing as you are typing notes you are much much more likely to reproduce just what you're hearing so more in a parroting kind of fashion whereas people who handwrite tend to paraphrase tend to abbreviate and tend to kind of reform you know there's more processing involved and it might be that that is also connected to the fact that typing doesn't require the same fine motor skills as handwriting ah interesting yeah so right. when you are writing by hand you it doesn't matter if it's a foreign script or if it's a similar script and like Lindsay was saying you know if you've got a language like german with some umlauts or something or french where you really got to pay attention to every single accent mark it it does require a lot of care but also your hand just creating the letters your hand moving and you know your handwriting is is nicer neater when you are all fresh and focused right and your handwriting gets scribblier during the day and you can tell that if i'm jotting notes down on this call they're going to be all that much more scribbly and harder to decipher later so handwriting requires a certain amount of attention that typing doesn't Mm. physically as well as psychologically as well as um mentally yeah and it's i mean they're not disconnected you know are they the sort of physical and the mental Mm -hmm. state okay it's a bit like language learning isn't it it's like if you if you're if you're avoiding writing even note taking but if you're avoiding that thinking oh yeah but i want to focus on speaking actually you're potentially losing out on benefits that could improve your speaking because you know when you have that physical like you're saying the fine motor skills going with your written of of perhaps writing vocabulary list connecting that to the sound in your head and the pronunciation in your head you're then forming a stronger bond like a stronger connection massively true to bring that back in terms of recall when when you're then speaking so yeah the benefits are connected much like you're saying with the physical and the mental side of things and one of the aspects in which we learn is also the fact that we learn visually like and this isn't i don't mean this in some kind of learning style i'm a visual learner therefore i can't learn any other way no yeah but if you're losing the visual element to your learning completely and in a way being presented with a wall of text that is the grammar rule loses you the the visual element right because as soon as you start to make notes you're sat there you are highlighting you are underlining you're drawing little arrows you're drawing little bubbles and all that kind of stuff you are creating the picture of what you are learning in your mind and that is really really beneficial for your memory so if you are processing a grammar rule writing your notes of it and kind of annotating it for yourself it is you individually highlighting the bit that is most relevant most important and automatically it helps you understand what you're actually learning whereas just reading it you're losing you're losing an element of what you're of what you're taking in it's interesting because you you said visual and you know that stems from this idea of vark mm-hmm. right i can't remember the the name of the person but it's like Mr. Vark, right? Mr. Mr. Vark. <laughs> Mrs. Vark. Visual, <laughs> probably Mr. <laughs> visual, audio, reading, I think it is, and kinesthetic. Yes. Well, actually, with, with handwritten notes, you're kind of ticking three of those in, in terms of the visual, in mm. terms of the kinesthetic of like the moving your hand and physically writing the stuff. And then also the reading, you know, you, you're giving something to go back on. If you're going over things and then highlighting that's the reading coming in as well. You could even bring in like the audio, you know, you could you could say out loud oh, yeah. as you're writing things, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So you can really play with those learning styles. You know, like you say, it's definitely not a case of like, I am this and this is who I am. It's a bit like those personality tests. It's like, I hate the words like, like introvert. I'm an extrovert. It's like, it's so 
closed, isn't it? Because then it doesn't allow for any anything beyond those walls that we build for ourselves. And I think that's the same. But yeah, it's it's kind of gives you a chance to take things and use things across the board. That is very, very true. The you you're so right about the you know the introvert extrovert thing is to me is really interesting being a massive extrovert and being still needing the same recovery time you know that that I need for you know for having had context and something and I think sometimes it it really gets misrepresented and the same thing happens with the learning styles so 100 yeah. percent agreeing on that and yeah so I want to I want to just also mention bloom and bloom's taxonomy which is what yeah we're, sorry we're hitting you with the educational theories here listeners so we've got <laughs> i'm going to link you in the show notes at fluent.show slash 192 i'm going to link you to an episode where we talked about different educational theories Lindsay and i so if you want to dive into that or if you're a teacher that might be a good one so we talked about v-a-r-k which is the which is the learning styles model essentially and bloom's mm. taxonomy is about how knowledge is taken in and assimilated and reproduced and they sort of came up with this theory of different levels of learning i guess of how much it's gone in if i can mm. yes is that a correct way of representing it roughly yeah i guess mm -hmm. if you google it is the best way you get a really very pinterestable image you do yes <laughs> <laughs> and to me as I am writing down, say, a grammar rule, so as I'm writing down in Welsh what triggers a mutation and how that mutation looks, and like I write down something about soft mutations, me writing it down is me curating what is most important to me about that rule, mm. is processing it, in it, and then me highlighting it is, is again me curating what I think is the most important in a way that I cannot do if I'm just working with a book and I'm highlighting the book it still is it still is always going to be said in the way that the book has to say it and I have found this is why I'm thinking about Bloom it's for me I feel much more like I have learned in a productive way and I have learned and actually understood a rule if I've sat down and reproduced it for myself on paper for example right right and, and I think also then for me there'd be the extra stage of needing to practice that myself as well written down I'm mm -hmm. talking about. yes mm. yeah you want to do practice sentences and all that stuff and I just feel mm. like paper gives you so much space so just in case you were wondering listeners I'm pro paper and handwritten learning <laughs> definitely it, it just gives me the space it gives me the the freedom to write down and reproduced rule in the way that i think i've understood it mm. you know and then to also write an example here and to just kind of follow follow the meandering ways of my own brain i guess yeah so there's a cognitive benefit there there's the psychological benefits we've kind of talked about it already this feeling of ownership and personal achievement that you can get from writing something and really knowing i did that that is very, very strong with, with handwritten production. Plus there is the whole, you can take that one further and you can kind of take ownership of your, your note space, I guess. You choose your notebook, you choose what pen you use, what ink you use. You can take it as far as you want to do it. But every person's notebook is uniquely theirs, right? Mm. And I think as well, an, on another kind of 
psychological benefit is that when everything is digital, it becomes very easy to feel distracted or to feel like, okay, I'll do this for a few minutes and then I'll go and do that app and then I better watch that video and then, you know, like kind of wanting to do all the things. And if you then put that aside, you put the computer aside, you put the tablet or the phone aside for a few minutes, okay, let's do some handwritten notes. The, it, the distractions are gone and that can be a real benefit, I think, as well. I agree. I agree. And again, there's something about the visual stimulus of your notebook telling you this is the space where, you know, you've you've taken your language learning notes. That's very different to taking out your tablet, which is the same place where you play play this game and maybe you're taking these notes and maybe you're you're editing video on it or whatever it is, you know, you're watching Netflix, whatever it is that you're doing on that device is all mm. kind of in the same box. Whereas your that particular piece of paper that you've dedicated to writing about French or whatever, that's quite a unique space. And it's a little bit like finding your French study corner. You, you, you priming in a very, in a very roundabout way, you're doing a little bit of priming there because you are yeah. telling your brain, this is now the space where the language, you know, where, where I focus on my target language. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that as well. Like when I've learned languages in the past and, never had like a notebook to begin with or never kind of given it a physical space whether that be in the form of like an actual book or a notebook if it doesn't have that I never feel very like grounded or settled mm -hmm. or you know or like oh now I'm just playing until there's a notebook and then it's like okay now this is where, like you say, it's almost where the language lives, where it's its sort of physical representation of what you're learning in your brain that you can't see, that you can't feel and hold, but you have this notebook that kind of represents all of that. Yes, it sounds it, very, it sounds very, sounds very like big sky. <laughs> you, you say but, that, but when I, you know, last year when I was in, when I was starting with Chinese, and I, I said. I'm a double stage, mm, right? Mm. And I'm considering myself, like, I don't put any pressure on. I'm just dabbling. I'm just getting to know the language a little bit. The moment when I switched from I'm a dabbler to I'm a learner is pretty much the moment I, I got myself a notebook and I opened it and I went, right, okay, this is for Chinese. Yeah, yeah. doesn't matter how far I go in this notebook, but it's just as long as that is around and I consider it and I don't know, an active notebook. <laughs> to me, that's a that's a personal symbol that this is still a language that I'm focusing on. Yeah, it is. It's a symbol. That's the word. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So that it, it, I think, I think this is powerful stuff, and I think it can really help. Now, let me let me ask you about organizing yourself on paper. Now, we can we can talk about generally organizing your life and sort of business and obviously about your language learning first of all do you plan and organize yourself for both of these do you do it in the same way are there any differences mm, I do kind of plan and organize for both for like work and for language learning but it's a bit different so for work I use Asana and then have everything in there pretty much um And then if there's little jobs, like odd jobs that need to happen and they just crop up or that are like urgent and need to be done today, then I might have one post-it note on my desk 
with those things listed. Or if it's like a really busy day and I look at the Asana list and it's like, oh, these are just recurring tasks that I can skip for this week. It's more important I get this, this and this done. Mm-hmm. Then I'll write those three things on the post-it note and have that there and just focus on that for the day. Um, but with language learning, it's a bit different. I Because I do clear the list on the blog, that helps a lot. So every month I check in and at the end of the month, I look back and review my goals from the month, make some new goals going forward and use that as a bit of a reference point. Sometimes I find if I get the chance to, you know, if I'm really like these past few, well, <laughs> these past few months, this year, shall we say, <laughs> with with coronavirus, I haven't, <laughs> I've been very, very generous with myself in that sense. But normally I find that if I sit down and I like have a space where the goals are written down, then I tend to do better. Um, but I'm thinking, and I was thinking about this not long ago, just this week, um, about using like an app, not Asana, but something different. Like I think Meister Task I've used in the past for this, just to organize like my language resources and goals a little bit. So there's like a digital space for that, that's separate on a separate app in a separate place. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, using clear the list still to to keep track of it all. So yeah, it's, I do do it for both, but in different ways. And I think if I use the same thing, the same tool or the same method, then it would feel like I never left work. (laughs) It would feel, you know, like language learning is work and then I've never left. I'm not just working all the time. Yeah, Which is why it's nice to separate it. I think for both of us as people who We've, we've always worked from home and we're self-employed. Uh, you really have to be careful about life, work, bleed. Mm. You do, you do. So let me, let me ask you about journaling in your target language. Yeah. I'm Is not... it something you've tried? Is it something you do? Mm. I'm not big on journaling. I think for me, the main problem is I feel like if I do something like that, I want to do it like all or nothing. Like if I'm not doing it every day, then it just feels like I've failed. Like it just feels like, oh, it's just another thing to do. And if it doesn't fit in very easily, then it just becomes another thing, like another sort of weight on your mind each day of like, oh, I have to do that, I have to do that thing. So I don't tend to do that. I'm not drawn to that naturally, I don't think. But mm. to to say all that and then... um. When we were in Peru, and I think I shared this, we talked on my Instagram live a few weeks ago about this topic. Um, When we were in Peru, before we arrived in Paraguay, I bought myself a notebook in the supermarket because I wanted to give, like we were just saying, that physical symbol, that physical representation of a language. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have that for Guarani because we'd been moving around. I didn't have. Um, And so it still felt very floaty if that makes sense. Yes. So I wanted to ground it a bit before we before we arrived. And so for maybe six weeks, kind of a couple of weeks before we arrived in Paraguay and then the time we were there, I was writing like a page, which was like 13 lines um, each evening of just sentences in Guarani. If I was tired, I let myself go into Duolingo and just copy out the first 13 phrases that came up on nice, a little lesson. Nice, nice. It counts, and it, it was, counts. You know, so yeah, yeah, I was quite sort of liberal with with that of like, oh no, it's too late or whatever. Um, but on an on a regular, regular, regular basis, 
it just feels like I've got enough going on. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Something something I really like that you do that I find I find difficult and I know other people find difficult as well is once you've set a rule for yourself you're quite good at sort of saying okay I'm gonna I'm still going to do it but I'm going to go a little bit easier on myself I'm going to take a break today or something like that and I think people can mm. get very cramped about this so you've got a mm. relatively relaxed way of going about your your discipline without losing any of the discipline element of it so that's really good oh yeah thank you yeah I suppose you're right I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, good, good job having a personality, I guess. <laughs> it's just the way that we are, right? Mm. Let me think. What do I do? The, okay, so for language learning, there's there's two ways that I do it, and for me, the biggest piece that I feel I have to handwrite that I just really get, I drive my mind just drives me to do, and I really, really need it to need to do it and I haven't been able to find a single app that has ever created the same sense of okay okay I understand okay I've got this kind of in my mind is vocab uh -huh. vocab to me has to be it I feel so much better when I've got a handwritten list of my vocab I don't necessarily like have a big really super structured review system but just the fact the fact that I've got a vocab notebook I open the notebook it's automatic review because I will just look back over the page that is there before and just see, oh, okay. And then sometimes I'll do a structured review. Something I recently did was go through all the words from like the last three pages indiscriminately and type them all up into Evernote. Uh -huh. And then I shared that Evernote with my Welsh tutor in the, in the class and I went, hey, just quiz me on these, just pick 15, let's quiz. And um, I was a lot better than I thought. So I think the the fact that I'm writing the word down for me it's it's sort of my one of my first repetitions. And mm. listeners, if you're really interested in vocab, I've got an online course that I would like to mention. I guess at this point, it's called Your Solid Vocab Memory, where I really really go into this. So I'll pop that in the show notes if you're interested. But essentially, one of my pillars is and and how I believe how I interpret most certainly space repetition and what space repetition means as well is you you need to have a few points of contact with every word and this is this is proven from a lot of research as well is that you need to encounter a word many many times before you remember it and I think for me I hear a word that's one encounter but I need to, I almost need to, must know how it's spelled and I need to write it down. And the fact that I have written it down just really, really helps me. And I will, I will do the whole thing. I will say it slowly as I am writing it down. If it's a complicated word that I can't just, you know, just doesn't just jump off the page. It doesn't fix everything all the time. I still confuse Schluwiliant and Dewichliant, one of which is culture, one of which is success. I think, mm. I think the first one's, but it doesn't matter. So, yeah. <laughs> but there's just something I really need the, the vocab kind of, I need to write the vocab down because I think it's the thing I want to remember the most. Now with Chinese, I have not found myself writing as much. I think partly because you never feel, the Chinese is tricky, right? Because you never, if you're writing pinyin, you kind of feel like you're not doing the proper thing. And if you are writing yeah. characters, it takes it takes forever. So that's yeah, one thing. Yeah, again, again with moving the goalposts, right? Yeah, and yeah. I haven't found the grammar very like the the grammar isn't 
crazy challenging in the mm. same way that maybe sometimes a European language is just really intricate and this little bit changes, that little bit changes. So I don't mean to um, sound in any way dismissive of of the challenges of learning Chinese, but a big challenge at the start of learning Chinese is the tones and you can't, like whatever notes you make isn't going to teach you the tones. So you that I just didn't feel connected to my notes in the same way that I do with a language that's got the Latin script, I think. But I want to say that when I was doing Russian, it was different. I think notes for me work even better when the alphabet corresponds to the sounds. Right. Where in Chinese, in, in the in the Hansa script, the alphabet as such is not really an alphabet, right? In the sense that yeah, every every symbol represents yes, it's connected to a sound, but it doesn't represent it and then come up in the same way every single time you've got that sound. So mm. there's there's not that connection, and that's made it harder for me with notes. Which means I've, I'm still writing vocab in the same way, and I just write write it in pinyin because I want to reproduce it in spoken conversation. And sometimes I will make I'm, I've just taken like a take or leave it, take it or leave it as I fancy it approach with with the characters but certainly with welsh which was my last latin based language and if i want to revive like spanish or italian or whatever i need to write it down i need to write it down otherwise i don't feel like it'll stick yeah yeah i i think it's interesting what you say about chinese um because i think if i look at the because like I was saying about the goalposts, right? If I look at my Chinese notebook compared to my, say, Indonesian notebook, there's a lot more in the Indonesian book because it's quicker and it's easier for me to just, oh, yeah, yeah, dip, 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 dip. Even if I don't know a word, if I'm like, I'm doing a lot of transcription at the minute in Indonesian with my tutor. And even if I don't know something, I can kind of guess because I know what those letters look like because they look the same as they do in my native language, you know? So yeah, that's that's an interesting one. But I think there's still definitely a, a value to be had. And I think perhaps it's a different approach to take when there's a different script involved to try and adjust that to make it still, you know, to make handwritten notes still work for you. Oh, 100%. And I found mm -hmm. that the characters that I have handwritten, I recognize much more easily. Again, it's just really yeah. aided my memory. There's something, for me at least, with handwriting and memory... That, that really, really helps me. And I just love the off-screen, the, the benefits of being off-screen as well. And the same way, my best way of organizing myself away from languages has been, I think probably is bullet journal. It's, it's yeah, I've got, I mean, I have a planner as well, but e so even before bullet journal was a thing, I already did it by hand more than every single digital organization system. I use a few to support me. You know, and especially when I need to collaborate with people, I can't just like send you a picture of a handwritten page and go, hey, Lindsay, here's my podcast scribbles for this week. Enjoy. You know, I can't do it that way. Obviously, I've, I'm, I work online, so I've got to have online systems. But for me personally, when I work out what I'm going to do today or something like that, I have found it so much more helpful to sit there with a notebook and just write on the page what I actually want to do. You know, I think that's another benefit is that a lot of work nowadays is online or computer-based mm -hmm. and involves more typing than handwriting. So I think if, you know, if language learning is a hobby or it's something that you separate from work, then having it being handwritten as well 
brings that extra perk of the the kind of division yes you know which which i think is quite quite nice and actually it's extremely portable it's much more portable because you don't need to worry about where the uh, wi-fi where you are you don't need to worry about your batteries running out so as long as you can carry the weight of a small notebook yeah. You're good, right? So I, I used to take, you know, before COVID, ah, but I used to take my Chinese notebook and one of my textbooks just into a cafe and have a lovely afternoon of just sitting there for two hours and, you know, doing doing some exercises. Mm. Now, listeners, if you want to know more about this, I really would like to invite you to join Language League because we not only did I do a training video about working with handwritten notes and Lindsay you've watched it does it did it all make I sense have. in the end yeah it did <laughs> yay yes <laughs> so there's a, there's a training video there with lots of cool and cool interesting things and I named some of my favorite tools and also some some ideas of how you could incorporate handwriting and digital because that's all doable it's totally possible and we have got our live Q&A coming up next week so in language league every month one of us this, this month it's me, Kirsten. Next month it's going to be Shannon. And then afterwards it's Lindsay. Each of us takes on hosting duties for the month. So we host you in our Language League membership, which means we provide you with a training video. There's also a workbook. There's a little mini challenge, which uh, this this month I've got um, prize motivations as well. So people can win prizes and everybody's been posting photos of the notebooks. So I really love that. And we've got a live Q&A, so it's kind of like a, a group coaching session where we discuss different things. And Language League also includes Speak Easy sessions. Lindsay, you talk about Speak Easy because it's your favorite thing. Yeah, Speak Easy sessions are basically online language exchange with everyone the benefit of not being in a very, very noisy bar. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about being like, excuse me, what did you say? Pardon? Pardon, répétez s'il vous plaît. None of that, because we put you in separate rooms for separate languages and you're good to go. Nice small groups to, to chat in that language. That's it. We do it on Zoom. We've got the breakout rooms and it's really nice as well. I think it's a really nice headspace to be able to practice with a fellow learner as well. Yes. So there's a benefit to not being not having that pressure mm-hmm. that comes with speaking either with a native speaker How or with a teacher. How many languages do you speak? Right? None right? of that. No. And so you're speaking with fellow learners, whatever level they're at, you're still in the same boat. So the pressure is taken down. And then also like sometimes what happens is you might show up and there might not be anyone. You know, if you're learning, say, oh, I don't know, Kirsten, give Indonesian. There we go. A language that's not as widely studied, perhaps. Mm. And you come to a speakeasy session, Apakaba. hop on into the main room with, oh, very good. Hop, <laughs> hop on into the main room with, with me or Kirsten or Shannon, whoever's hosting. And we'll ask you some questions and you can get the chance to respond to someone who perhaps doesn't speak the language. So the pressure is even lower because you get to just speak, but speak to someone rather than just like alone in your room. And oh my God, Bloom's taxonomy, mm. explaining your target language to somebody else and teaching somebody else. It is the the learning ultimate. That That is when you walk away knowing you've got it. Yeah, that's an option. If there's a couple of people, we might do a bit of back and forth of sharing a bit about the language, that kind of stuff. It's all all good fun. That's the speakeasy sessions. That's it. So, well, I think think we've listed everything. Yeah. Mostly. Oh, yeah, there's a members only (laughs) Facebook group as well. So we've got lively discussion, mostly on the daily basis now. So this is my 
And Lindsay's and Shannon's quick reminder to those of you who want to get a bit more attention and expert training in your languages, that Language League is open for new members. As I said, the hosts are Lindsay Williams, Shannon Kennedy and Kirsten Cable. Hello, yours truly. And together between us, Lindsay, Shannon and I have learned over... 20 languages Ooh. i think oh yeah no i think that's a yeah, fair number over, yeah well over we've taken several language degrees one of us is in the process of doing another language degrees what and we really know our stuff and one thing i really love about language league is that we get to know our members and we get to see their progress week by week really see people grow because of the way that it's a monthly it's a monthly membership there's a monthly structure to it and you kind of really connect with people on a regular basis and even in the in the languages free speak easy we see your growth and we get to support you every month so it's something truly special it's an opportunity to go deeper into your language routine to learn a lot more about how you learn and to get a lot more out of the effort that you put in And you can sign up, and I put a link in the show notes as well. You can sign up on a monthly basis. You can sign up on an annual basis if this sounds exactly like what you want. Or you could try it out, try us out on a three-month offer. So we've got various different ways of joining Language League at um, a budget or a system that works for you. And for those of you who are in, who wonder now about Patreon and how all that fits together, true story here. I originally thought about making something like this as a Patreon membership tier, but Language League has grown out of that. So for those of you who are on Patreon and who want to wonder how you can get a more um, more interactive and intensive and attentive way of interacting with the not just the Fluent Show, but kind of the themes that the Fluent Show explores and to get a little bit of extra through the the extra presenters, I think Language League is is that and more. So I'm really, really excited about it. And it's it's something I wanted to create for you for so, so long. And I'm so pleased that this this has kind of been created and came together out of me starting Patreon here on the podcast. And Lindsay and Shannon running Language Study Club, which is the predecessor of of Language League. Mm. So, so there's we we started Language Study Club in September, no October mm -hmm, 2017, mm -hmm. and you get all the whole archive. So That's like it, yeah. when you join, it's not just like okay, I'll just wait for the next month. No, no, everything is there, so you can like dig in to whatever feels most relevant to you right now and we're there as well in the Facebook group to you know to check if you're like I'm not sure where I should start here's my situation ask away and we'll help you out and suggest where is going to be the best place for you to begin that's it shout out to language league member Andrew 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 Andy <laughs> who doesn't ever go by Andrew on the internet so I've made you into an Andrew right now shout out to language league member Andy because he's also kind of collected It and made a big collection in the Facebook group of our different lectures, months. What do we call them? Archive. Trainings. Yeah. Yeah. Topics. Archive our, topics. Yeah, yeah. Our archive topics and and kind of allocated them by topic and by date and stuff like that. So it's even easier now to find what you are looking for. But just ask and we'll signpost signpost it for you. So once again, Language League. It's open for new members. You can join us, and we'd be we'd be thrilled to have you. Yay. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. So I'm going to call this meeting to a close. Bing, bing. Is there anything else that you want the listeners to be aware of? I don't think so. Brilliant. I, I think 
We've said it all. We've said it all needs to be said about women in language and handwritten notes in language learning. Thank you so much for listening to The Fluent Show. As I said, you can find us and tell us what the longest running soap opera is in your country by going on Twitter at The Fluent Show is the Fluent Show's Twitter account that I run. And you can also connect with me at Fluent Language and with Lindsay at LD Languages. We're also on Instagram. You can find all of our different social media handles and usernames at fluent.show I think it's slash hosts or simply just click on our little pictures at fluent.show slash 192 which is your hub for this episode we're going to find all of the links that you need Lindsay is lindsaydoeslanguages.com I am Kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk and it is goodbye from me goodbye and goodbye from Lindsay Williams I've remembered goodbye in a different language today whoop sayonara Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.